0: Namaste, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. There's a concept that we talk about quite a bit and we write about quite a bit in our New Thought spiritual teaching and philosophy, and it is the idea of the emergent. And right along with the idea of the emergent is the idea that we are co-creating this new something, whether it is something that is very personal to us in our lives, or whether it is something that we are hoping to bring forth in the larger realm of humanity, that something new is wanting to happen. And it is my belief that people like us in this room and people who tune into a program like this are midwives to that, that in our prayer work, in our conversations, in what we put our mind to, what we put our heart to, and what we put our hands to, and what we invest in, that we care about and we are wanting to midwife to help give life to something new and better, not just for ourselves, but for everyone, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. And so as we wrap up this exploration this morning, I wanted to share with you four ideas that I think are important for us to keep in mind and to be invested in so that we can be better midwives of that something new that wants to emerge, that something better that wants to emerge. And remember, I asked you to hold both ends of the spectrum. What is it that is new and different that wants to emerge in your life and your family? And what do you hope for when you think about life to the seventh generation? When you think about the big world, what are you hoping for? What do you want to see emerge? What is a legacy that you'd like our generation to leave behind? So the first idea is this. Recognizing, valuing, and using wisely. Recognizing, valuing, and using wisely. The tools we have to connect with each other, with information, and with resources. So using, valuing, recognizing, doing it all wisely, the tools that we have now to connect with each other, to connect with information, and to connect with resources. A number of years ago, I read an article, and I wish I could remember exactly whether it was in the New York Times or whether it was part of maybe a book or part of the History Channel. But I remember reading and hearing about the top 100 inventions that were pivotal in history. And I was taken by the fact that what in this countdown, what was identified as the number one was the printing press. And then this show or this article went on to say that the reason that the printing press, it was invented in 1450 by Gutenberg, that the reason the printing press was considered to be such an important invention was that it quite literally took the power of the word out of the exclusive hands of the church and put it in the hands of ordinary people. You may may remember that, if not the first, one of the very first things that the printing press was used to do was to print the Bible. And so it put that document, that sacred text, and everything that followed, into the hands of ordinary people. And what that did was it democratized knowledge began to democratize knowledge and information to ordinary people, not just what was one of the, if not the most powerful institution at the time, the church. And if you think about it, the internet and the social web is that for us today. But it's even more powerful because what the printing press did was connected people with information. What our tools do for us today is certainly connect us with information. What did we do before we could say, Google it? Where did we ask all those questions? And how long did it take to get answers to whatever it is that we go Google today? So our internet, our web allows us to connect with information. It also allows us to connect with people. Think of all the platforms that connect people to people. And think of all of the platforms that connect not just people to people, but people to resources. Have you heard of this thing called Amazon? Have you used it at all during the pandemic? Of course you have. Or all of these other things that connect us with resources, in a quicker and easier way. Can they be used negatively? Of course, anything can be used negatively. Electricity, we wouldn't want to live without it. It's powerful. We don't even have to understand how to use it. We don't even have to understand what it is to to be able to use it, right? It can be used constructively and it can be used destructively. But we have at our fingertips, literally at our fingertips, And not even just at our fingertips, but now at our spoken word, we can say, hey, Alexa, hey, Siri, and they respond. And they begin to learn what it is that we might want to know about. That can feel creepy sometimes. But it's powerful because now imagine, imagine for a moment if Martin Luther King Jr. had at his disposal what you and I have at our disposal to connect people with other people, to connect people with information, to connect people with resources that quickly. Think of Mahatma Gandhi and the Salt March and his whole focus of freeing India from British control. Think of how that could have been done so much faster. Think of what we can do today positively as individuals to connect our classrooms with other classrooms and make a difference, to connect small pods of people with other pods of people around things that we think are important. This web, in many ways, has more equally leveled the playing field that we each can, at our fingertips, at our voice, be able to connect with others of like mind, with others of like heart, and influence the conversation. We've seen how it can be used to influence the conversation in disinformation dissemination, but it can be used and must be used consciously and deliberately to influence the conversation for good. If we can amplify our voices, our conversations for good, we can help to shift the culture from a world that just works for a few to a world that is connected in a way that it can work for more? Whatever it is in your life that you're wanting to midwife, whatever it is in your life that you're wanting to bring forth, how can you connect with others that may be of resource to you or encouragement to you or have knowledge or information that you don't have but that you need? It's how. We can utilize these tools to help midwife something new and better. Second idea is this, recognizing the fact that the middle is moving and to build on that momentum. Let me say it again. To recognize the fact that the middle is moving and to build on that momentum. Maybe you're not familiar with the phrase, the middle is moving. What do I mean by that? A byproduct of our connectivity, that's what we were talking about a moment ago, our ability to connect, to connect with information, to connect with people, to connect with resources. A byproduct of our connectivity is that ideas that have been on the periphery of society are moving into the middle. They are becoming mainstreamed. Do you remember when it was kind of weird to meditate when it was kind of odd, you know, this yoga thing? What's this yoga thing? Remember when it was like brand new, this secret? How many of you remember when this secret came out? Though but Those of us in New Thought for a long time have said, it ain't no secret, it's been around a long time. Very, very, very long time. Because spiritual principle, universal principle is ever-present. Ever present. But these ideas are so mainstream now. Would you not agree? I mean, hospitals have mainstreamed and adopted the practices of mindfulness, of visualization. How many of the Olympic athletes use breathing techniques, use visualization, use imagery? These ideas have been mainstreamed. The middle is moving, and when the middle moves, when the middle moves, things begin to change more quickly. I believe that the middle is moving and talking and connecting and waking up. But sometimes waking up is messy. Sometimes waking up is alarming. I think that's why we call it an alarm clock. It goes off and I know some of us still use ones that sound like that old alarm sound, and our first inclination may not be to say, oh, I welcome the new morning, but to swat it, you know? Waking up is, is sometimes takes a little bit. takes a little bit to ease into it and to feel comfortable. But it's significant because when the middle of society begins to shift upward, then the masses begin to move as well. Charles Fillmore, the co-founder of Unity, didn't use the term, the middle is moving, but he talked about the same idea when he talked about race consciousness, that when the masses begin to get spiritual understanding, begin to get some of these principles and to live by them, then there is a ramping up of the speed of change, positive change for the good. To me, it's like the mystical understanding of Jesus' teaching when he said, If I be lifted up, I will lift up all men and women unto me. If I be lifted up, if my consciousness be elevated, the elevation of that will lift up the consciousness of those around me. Barbara Marx Hubbard, the late futurist, used to talk about the idea that if we could possibly just get one or two percent of humanity on the same page of consciousness, It could be enough for a radical change. If we really hold to the idea that that could possibly be true, does that not inspire you to be even more committed to your individual spiritual practice? It certainly does me. It certainly inspires me that in those moments where I might think, oh, I really don't feel like I have the time to meditate this morning. I don't really feel I have the time to do my mindfulness exercises today, to say, well, wait a minute. If I'm really, if I really understand that every effort in this direction helps to shift a teeny, tiny, tiny bit, if there's enough of us doing that, it matters. It makes a difference. I was reflecting back on some studies and things I remember from from years ago. In the 80s, perhaps you had heard about the hundredth monkey phenomenon. The idea that when a critical mass of a population learns a new behavior, a new way of being, that that learning, that knowledge magically jumps to the rest of the population without the same level of effort as was required by the originators. I forget what island This was first studied at, but it had to do with a a certain species of monkeys and how they would eat potatoes and how they would wash the potatoes in in water so that they wouldn't be so sandy. And that's why it's called the 100th monkey phenomenon, because in the exploration of that, what was uncovered was that when there were enough of them over generations that had learned this behavior, been taught this behavior, that then it seemed to jump further into the species where the actual teaching of the behavior didn't seem to be necessary. The 100th monkey phenomenon. Or you may remember or want to Google the study and practice actually that was done in Washington, D.C. in the mid-1990s, undertaken by the TM movement, that if they could get, I think the number was 10% of people in TM practice meditation, meditating in Washington DC at the same time with the focus being lowering violent crime and then measuring the actual data over a period of time, that there was a remarkable drop in the rate of violent crime right on the heels of what those meditators had been doing. The Institute of Heart Math that you've heard me speak about many times before over the years has likewise done studies around the idea of heart coherence, something that we attempt to practice in a very small way in our meditation time on Sunday mornings when we move our attention to the area of the heart and we practice imagining our breath moving through the heart space and practice volitionally holding the healing, uplifting emotion That if we could be hooked up to certain kinds of biofeedback equipment, we would be able to know and measure that the heart is moving into a state of coherence. And when the heart is in a state of coherence, we are not only more peaceful and more clear-headed, but we access a deeper wisdom within us. And that when a group of people are practicing coherence together, that that field becomes amplified. And so while the measuring of some of these things still seems to be pretty new and needs much work and improvement, there's enough out there already that suggests that when we practice these kinds of things, and there are enough of that, that it helps to move the middle. I think it gives emphasis and power and validity really to Jesus' statement. If I be lifted up, he wasn't talking about himself personally. Jesus was a teacher of consciousness. If I, if the consciousness of the God presence, the divine, the Christ nature, whatever you want to call that, be lifted up, be experienced by enough people, it will help to lift all around. The third, in midwifing, whether it is for ourselves or for Humanity is the idea that there is power in doing the work together in community. There is power in the idea of doing the work together in community. I came across a phrase that really spoke to me that is about this idea. The phrase is networks of grace. not that beautiful networks of grace? Bill McKibben wrote in the book, the New York Review of Books, The technology we need most badly is the technology of community. Just think about those words for a moment. The technology of community. This is one iteration of community. Our broadcast audience is another iteration of community. Your workplace is an iteration of community. Your social groups are an iteration of community. The technology we need most badly is the technology of community, the knowledge about how to cooperate to get things done. Our sense of community is in disrepair. While pursuing our individual spiritual paths and embracing our own specific kinds of service, we must learn to work together and to form empowering and and encouraging networks of grace. Like-minded, like-hearted beings brought together by passion, skill, and serendipity to pool their energies, triumphs, grievances, hopes, and resources of all kinds. Networks of grace. Networks of grace could be organized around professions. We think of Doctors Without Borders. That's a network of grace organized around a profession. Networks of grace organized around teachers rethinking how to really support and educate a new, more aware generation. Networks of grace around professions, devoting common skill, common energy, passion. Networks of grace around an individual's passion for something. Many are passionate about the environment. Many are passionate today about civil rights. Passion for equality, networks of grace, of people working together in small communities. It goes back to the first point, does it not, that you and I have at our fingertips the ability to connect with the resources we need, with information we need, and with each other. Geography is no longer a boundary, or at least not the boundary that it once was. Networks of grace around heartbreak. Think of the network of grace called Mothers Against Drunk Driving. There are many, many other examples for each of these networks of grace born out of heartache or born from one's profession or born from one's passion. But the idea of is rethinking the power of community. The church itself, the early church, was successful, not in the way we measure church today, but in ways that really mattered. It was successful because it was communities of people drawn together around a teaching and a message. And there was great risk for them. For the early followers of Jesus that were called followers of the way, they were not called Christians, that term hadn't been invented. They at risked their well being got together in secret, part of their agenda was to support one another in the understanding of that teaching and to share that teaching. We wouldn't be here, even though unity pulls from so many world religions, our deepest original roots are in our mystical and metaphysical understanding of Christianity. So rethinking community and building upon community And we have to be more creative right now, don't we? Because it's kind of hard to do it in person, right? But we don't have to let that stop us. And the very last idea that I want to mention is this. Meeting the messiness and uncertainty mindfully with wisdom and compassion. Meeting the messiness and uncertainty mindfully with wisdom and compassion. Birth is messy whether we're talking about the birth of a beloved child or we're talking about the birth of a new organization or a new country or a new idea or a new possibility for your life, it doesn't usually come nice and neat and well-ordered. Step one, step two, all the doors open, no lateral moves, no backward steps. It doesn't work that way. So meeting the messiness, And uncertainty with anything new. There's going to be uncertainty and there's going to be messiness. Meeting the messiness and uncertainty mindfully and with wisdom and compassion. Think about the birth, the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into the butterfly. We've got a lot of flowering bushes around our house. And I've just recently discovered caterpillars like my basil. I'm having to figure out, I don't mind tithing a whole basil plant, but leave at least one untouched. I haven't figured out how to communicate that to them yet, but I'm working on it. But those caterpillars, in their process of becoming that butterfly, go through a really gunky, messy, liquefaction of their body before a few imaginal cells within that gunk, in that darkness of that cocoon, those imaginal cells that have the imprint of what that butterfly is to be, begin to connect with each other, enough so that the messiness and the gunk die out. And what emerges as those cells join together is the formation and the transformation of that caterpillar gunk into butterfly. So if we can hold some of these ideas for ourselves individually as we work to bring forth something new in our lives or in our families, it will help us to be more successful and not to be discouraged when things get kind of difficult or go sideways for us. And if we can hold these ideas as we work together on this second part of our mission of transforming our world with love, David, it will always be with love, as we continue to do that work, we will be successful. We may not be the ones to see the greatest degree of success that we're longing for, but we can certainly continue to be a part of the positive process and progress that gets us there. Namaste.